Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to I Do Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you are having a wonderful January. It's been quite the cold one, it looks like, up in the United States, particularly the Northeast, but we don't know anything about that. We're down here staying warm in the tropics in Costa Rica. I'm not trying to rub it in. It kind of sounds like I am. <laughs> so I was like, you're being so annoying right now. <laughs> well, no, we just hope you all are staying warm and enjoying the snow at least. Yeah. If you're dressed appropriately, I'm sure it's fine. We're both from the South, so we are kind of like allergic to anything below 60 degrees maybe. Yeah, I'd say so. I think Florida, our Florida winters were like 60, which is probably for y'all up north, you think it's like, that's like shorts and t-shirt weather and yeah. maybe like bundled in scarves and boots and people always make fun of us, at least me when I dress in boots in Florida when yeah. it's 60. <laughs> First cold front comes in, all the Floridians bust out the big winter coats, big boots. It's a big, it's pretty it's a big funny. big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we won't we won't linger on the weather if you're out there freezing wherever you're listening to this. So, we appreciate you coming to us and we're we're here in Costa Rica, so maybe you can envision yourself on the beach down here getting nice and toasty. Or maybe you can come down, you know, check out Oh yeah, right? we're having our uh Costa Rica couples retreat in a couple weeks. That's we have right. 2 weeks left to sign up. It's March 3rd through the 10th. Here in Nosara, Costa Rica. So if you want to escape the cold and come join us with some warm waves and weather. And improve your relationship. And improve your relationship. We welcome you. Yeah, check that out. And another way you can get hot. Now I'm getting kind of corny. But, <laughs> but we have a hot topic today with sex therapist Lori Watson. And Lori is a fellow podcaster on Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy, available on iTunes and Stitcher. And she is a therapist and also an author of her book, called Wanting Sex Again, How to Rediscover Desire and Heal a Sexless Marriage. And we walk through the steps to talk about sex and really to talk about anything uh, important uh, if there's a conflict in the relationship. And it, it's just so valuable because we have such a funny taboo around talking about sex, even with our most intimate partners, uh, particularly I, I feel like in the West and, and Lori and I and, and Sarah, we, we talk about why that is. And, and we have such an over-sexualized culture, but the reality is when it comes down to our private lives, some of us can't even talk openly about sex, what we want in the bedroom, why we're not doing it enough maybe in our relationship, and just simple things like that. And so Lori takes us through the exact steps to, to have that conversation and then to enact the change that we want to see in the relationship or just to have a better sex life. And my favorite part, which happens to be the first step, we don't want to give it away, but it's to give your partner a warning before you even have the talk because it kind of can set the 
expectations of the conversation can allow you to prepare and maybe not surprise the other person in your relationship. Because like Chase said, the sex talk and what Lori said is sometimes very hard for people and it's a lot, it requires people to be vulnerable and they're, they might not feel comfortable. So giving them the warning to even start the conversation, I feel like is such a huge component to um, having these types of conversations in your relationship. Yeah. You don't want to be blindsided by, uh, Hey, I don't think we're having sex enough while you're at the grocery store <laughs> or something <laughs> like, like that. Awkward. And, yeah. But, but I mean, I'm joking, but I'm not in that we need to give our partner a, a heads up and, and say, Hey, uh, this is something I want to talk about. And you don't necessarily have to talk about it then, but kind of put it on the calendar. Hey, can we talk about this later? And don't leave it open in it because then they might be like, Hey, what's wrong? <laughs> something like that. But Hey, I, I'd like to talk about, uh, things in the bedroom. Can we, can we chat now or, or maybe later this afternoon or, or whatever? But that simple thing, uh, can be really important and valuable. And then the rest of the steps that Lori gives are, are really helpful. And like I said, talking about sex, but really anything in your relationship. And if these tips sound great to you and you want to implement them into your relationship to have that productive sex talk, then you can download a free guide that we created for you called the Sex Talk Cheat Sheet. And you can download it at our website, idopodcast.com forward slash 131 download. So that's the episode 131 download. So you can download it there or you can click on the link in the podcast description or the show notes and it'll take you to the download as well. Uh, yeah, check that out. It's good stuff. And as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy today's show. Today's show is sponsored by Songfinch. Songfinch brings your stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs from scratch. I just got my song back that I wrote for Chase, and we'll be playing it later in the show because it is so good. Songfinch's custom songs are the perfect gift for Valentine's Day. And as a special offer, you guys can get 10% off by visiting songfinch.com. That's F-I-N-C-H, songfinch.com and entering the promo code I do. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for having me. Happy to be on I Do. Thank you. Well, all right, Lori, we've given our listeners a little overview, told them about your work as a therapist, about your podcast. So why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Oh, great. Well, I am a marriage family therapist, but I specialize in sex therapy because early in my career, I realized that this was something that even young people struggled with, and I was surprised. I thought that sex was something maybe that happened post-menopause, but uh, sexual problems. But really, um, by two years of marriage, this is a scary statistic, but one-third of all young couples are considered sexless. And so I really thought, you know, this is a place that I feel comfortable talking about, and it's something that I can really impact change in a young couple's life. So say that again, you, after two years, one third of couples are sexless? 
Yes. Yes. Wow. So what is sexless? Years, so, That's what I want to know. So sex, yeah, what does sexless mean? It basically means less than 10 times a year. So couples who are having sex less than once a month are considered sexless. And couples who have sex every other week or only 25 times a year are considered having, they're a low sex marriage. Wow. And okay. one third of couples, I know, we, we think that, you know, it's just aging, but really it is, I think it's not even children because this is before most couples have children, um, that they have this problem with sex. And I, I really think it has to do with the power struggle in terms of this is such an intimate place that we connect. And, you know, it's very fragile. Many things can impact our sex life and cause us to lose desire. It's Sex therapy is not even so centered around functioning. I mean, there's a lot of tricks and tips that will help better uh, couples functioning, but it really has to do with the way they're relating to each other, the way they feel attached to each other or don't feel attached. That's the greatest impact um, on our sex life is that level of attachment. Well, there's so that's a kind of a sobering statistic to start the podcast with, but that's why we're here is to give, <laughs> to give no, but it's important and, and it is true. So it's important that um, you're on the show and that we can get this information, give it to our listeners and help people improve their sex lives. And one of the things, obviously, there's a lot of different avenues, like you mentioned, functioning is obviously a side of it and health, but just communicating around sex. And it's funny, we have such a, especially in Western culture in the United States, where a lot of the people are listening from, it's in culture, we have a, a very weird relationship with sex, I feel like, where ads and, and media is, is tends to be pretty sexualized. But then when it comes to our private lives, it's not a very open discussion. It's almost kind of taboo, even with your partner or your married, um, if you're married or dating or, or whatever, just communicating around sex. So let's zero in and talk about, we want to talk about how we can have a productive conversation around sex. Um, and maybe if you can just comment on that uh, before we dive in about the culture, uh, particularly in the United States, and how that might be affecting the lack of conversation around sex. Mm -hmm. I think that you're right. It's a sex-saturated culture. So what we imagine, because we see it on television and we hear it on the radio and you know, uh, on the music videos, we think that everybody is having really hot sex all the time. And some of that leads to this sense of insecurity and disappointment, you know, like, wow, my sex life isn't that hot. And, and so, so people don't, you know, they already come to the sex talk with a set of expectations and disappointments. And I don't think that there is much teaching or much instruction anywhere on how a couple would really literally talk about the intimate part of their life, everything from frequency to technique. I mean, it's just a difficult subject. It's so vulnerable to talk about those things. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a good point in in having the over-sexualization. We have an idea, and this kind of goes with a lot of stuff we talk about around relationships. Like we talk about the fairy tale relationship, like Prince Charming and, and you know, coming to save the 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 princess and they live happily ever after in the castle and nothing ever goes wrong. They never argue. 
you know, of course, and they have hot right, sex, right? right? Of so not. <laughs> maybe not in the Disney <laughs> right. movie, minus the hot sex, but, but, but yeah, it's such a, and I, you know, I think theme. we, that's what we believe. We, we're marrying a prince or we're marrying a princess. And then suddenly we think, oh my gosh, I've married a frog. And, you know, this frog is covered in warts and it's every marriage has to go through this disillusionment period. I mean, every marriage in order to get to the other side, which is, no, actually, I haven't married a prince, and I haven't married a frog, but I have married a person who, by and large, is a good person, but they have a few warts. And in order to get to that realization where real love begins, we have to go through the power struggle. And that's, you know, that's sort of bad news because we think, oh, if we're just if we just communicate enough, we won't we won't have to go through a struggle. But every marriage does, in fact. It's essential because that's the way we we come to understanding each other's differences. If we don't have a struggle, that means you're you're probably not being real enough with each other. You know, you're really not showing each other who you are. So this difficulty, this power struggle, of course, impacts sex. And, you know, oftentimes during the power struggle, sex kind of dries up. Um, But then on the other side of the power struggle, sex can be rich. It can be, you know about a deep friendship that's also passionate. So what's the the first step to, I guess, initiating that conversation with your partner about sex or, you know, how to keep the spark and how to initiate what one partner wants without making the other partner feel uncomfortable? Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. And the first step is to give your partner warning that you want to talk about sex and to set it up, you know, non-defensively and say, you know, I'd, I'd really like to talk to you about X, Y, and Z about our sex life. Maybe it's about the frequency. You know, I would love to increase our frequency uh, in the bedroom. And could you talk about that with me maybe next Saturday morning at coffee? Um, because I think one of the problems is people are so anxious about this conversation that they wait until they're angry or they build up, there's all this tension building up in them to suggest it to their partner. So sometimes they pick inappropriate times like late at night or during a fight instead of really giving their partner a heads up. This is what I want to talk about. This is when I want to talk about you. And people often will come to that conversation with less defensiveness and with more openness, and they're prepared. Okay, you know, I know what you want to talk about. This is what I'm going to bring to the table. And, you know, that way that it is going to be a better conversation if you give your partner some warning. I think that's such a great tool because there's so many situations that I can think of, you know, just between Chase and I, that if both of us were able to kind of think about what we wanted to say and we would act less rational and probably say some of the things or not say some of the things that we regret later because it's like in the heat of the moment. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Not even around sex. Like it's certainly a good point yeah. when bringing up the sex conversation, but you know, when you're rushing out the door and you got a screaming toddler, it might not be the best time to like bring up the fact that, uh, you know, you want, you want your husband to do the dishes more often, you know, and it's like, you know, and I'm not, it might sound like it's a first person account. It's in a, not, any conversation. It's, it's, any con- yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, you guys no. probably wouldn't ever be in that situation, right? Oh, never. <laughs> never. 
Yeah, I, I think the other thing, the second thing that I like to couples to consider is that a sex talk is a partial conversation. So same thing goes when you're telling your children about sex. There isn't just one big talk. You know, when they're eight years old and you tell them, sit down and tell them about the birds and the bees, a sex talk with children is an ongoing conversation. And a sex talk with our partner is an ongoing conversation. So when you're thinking about things that you don't like about the bedroom or things that you want more of or something, think about the most narrow part of that and maybe divide it into 12 topics. And when you offer to talk to your partner about sex or you ask for a, a conversation about your intimate life, only bring one of those 12 to the table and just think, you know what, for the rest of the year, we'll have time. I'll talk about those other things then because I think people are so nervous that, you know, this is a big topic and this is a sensitive talk, but I got to just, you know, bring it all up at once. And that is that will just overwhelm your partner, but narrow it down and say, this is the one part that I want to talk about. And maybe it's, you know, I like sex in the evening and you seem to initiate in the morning, but I've got to get ready for work, you know, and, and it just, it's not working out for me. And I, I think that I'm turning you down too frequently and, and you're getting the wrong idea from me that I don't, you know, love you or I'm not attracted to you. But really the problem for me is that I like sex in the evening. I like to close out my day that way. I don't like to start my day that way. Do you see how it's very narrow? It's not, we're not going to talk about what we're doing in the bedroom or what sex, sexual dysfunction is happening or do you desire me? It's none of those things. It's just one aspect at a time that can be talked about in one breakfast or one coffee time, just one aspect. Do you have like a time recommendation about how long you should have these conversations so they don't like drag on or is it just whatever brilliant, feels, feels brilliant. right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like only about an hour. I mean, honestly, about as long as a therapy session, you know, a therapy session is, is intense. That, by the way, I do offer Skype counseling and, you know, people, I can probably talk to somebody for eight hours at a time. But people have limited emotional resource, especially over this intimate talk topic. So, you know, they can maybe only talk about it for an hour and then they need to recover. They need to come back and think about what's being said and what they said and how they feel about it. And my own husband and I, you know, when, when things get hot or when things get angry, let's say that, you know, I just get quicker. I can talk and talk and talk and and it doesn't bother me to talk if there's high emotion, but my husband, he's the type of person who kind of shuts down when things are emotional. And he needs literally sometimes hours, sometimes days to process what's being said and get a hold of what he really thinks. And I've learned, I've been married now 30 years, and so I've learned to give him that time and to say, you know, let's take a break, let's come back to this next week or, you know, in two evenings when you've had a chance to you know, sort out how you feel about this. When you say that, like the first thing I think of is that like if Chase and I are in that situation, that there would be some kind of like lingering feelings of like just uncomfortableness or like kind of not awkwardness, but unfinished. like unfinished business. How do you like stop a conversation without feeling the need to like always talk about it or like having some sort of not positive feelings towards your partner about that situation. 
Right. How do you sort of compartmentalize yeah. one area of your life that right. is having some difficulty from the rest of your life when you have to function together and be parents together and, you know, you know, get things done? I, I think this is something, Sarah, for me, that I've really struggled with in my own life. And I see people in my practice struggle with that one side of the relationship is, is a part that I call they're the pursuers. They're the ones who are very aware when there is a subtle sort of distance between them and their partner. And they're anxious about that. And they like to settle it all at once. And they're kind of the chasers. There's the, they're the ones who pursue their partner. And oftentimes, even though their partner loves their pursuer and wants to be close, they get overwhelmed easier. They, they don't have as much emotional energy they're more aware of their need for autonomy and distance and space. And so in every marriage, one partner is the pursuer and the other partner is the distancer. And pursuing people are very aware of this unfinished business part. Distancing people, if you ask them, they'd say, oh, I even forgot I had that conversation. I I forgot we were going to have a second conversation. (laughs) Because some of the way they manage, right, they manage their anxiety about these things is just to sort of stuff them down a little bit. And so what do we do if we're a pursuing partner in a relationship is what you're asking, I think. And we're aware of the unfinished business and our partner seems to be going on just fine. You know, I think one way to do it is to agree, like, let's stop right now. It seems like things are getting a little too emotional for us to really be rational and think about how to solve this problem. Let's take a break And let's come back at two hours. And setting the next date, for me, Sarah, like reduces my anxiety. If I know that, okay, it's now 9 o'clock and no good thing comes from a conversation past 9 p.m. It just, you can't resolve things. You're too tired. So if I say, you know what, it's too late. We have these open issues. Let's wait. And, you know, tomorrow's a work day. So we can't talk about it in the morning. But I know Saturday is coming. So first thing Saturday morning, let's sit down or go to our favorite coffee place and finish this conversation. And for me, Sarah, I've had to really hang on to my anxiety about that, you know, comforting myself, reassuring myself, reminding myself, this is a lifetime. We have a lifetime to resolve these things and just trusting in my husband's commitment to me. And that's what I try to teach the pursuing partner in my practice. It's like, you have to contain your own anxiety and the distancing partner. I remind them, I say, you have to learn to initiate. You have to learn to initiate when things are um, conflictual for you. When there's problems, you have to become aware of the problems. So it's sort of like holding back wild horses on one side and lighting, you know, a stick of dynamite under the other side. (laughs) I, I love that because I think you're, loud, you're chuckling. <laughs> so this must be familiar. Well, yeah. I mean, I definitely think Chase and I kind of have those similar personality traits like you were mentioning. So I, I think mm-hmm. that setting those, setting a time and a date to talk about it will definitely, I think, help mm-hmm. both of us in terms of right managing both of our anxiety mm-hmm. about a situation. Right. You know, if you're the anxious partner, that it's not just going to go away, that it's on the calendar and you're going to talk about it again. And that does help. It helps me and it helps my patients contain their anxiety. I know that when it gets to an hour, no matter what we're talking about, we're trying to hash something out. 
I feel like it's more like 45 minutes and for everyone it'd be different, but yeah, you just feel, <laughs> you just feel emotionally you got a 45 minute drained. Window, right? Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I think both of us really are kind of similar. I might be a little bit more of a pursuer, but not drastically uh-huh. more, but, but even then, like there's time, like, all right, like we've hashed it out that we're not really making any progress here. And it's funny because having this podcast and I'm sure yourself as a therapist and then even our listeners who listen to a lot, you're trying to apply this information you learn, but it it can almost be so tiring to just overanalyze like a situation and really try to break it down. And we're trying to communicate and we're both like calm uh, for the most part, (laughs) but, but it it is, uh, it's, I think it's the right way. It's the harder way. Like we say, a lot of times it's easier to just be resentful or to pout or to Mm -hmm. not talk about it. Uh, but yeah, when we, we try to hash these things out, I don't know if, if you can comment on that uh, as a therapist, but like when you're, in your own life, trying to work through relationship uh, problems, which we all have, it, it can be really taxing almost the more information you have. It's like information overload. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I agree with you, Chase. You know, becoming conscious is a burden. Yeah. You know, many people live their lives sort of oblivious to... um what's going on inside them and what's going on inside their partner. They, you know, they think, well, if it was good enough for my parents, it's good enough for me. But we have a huge divorce rate in our country. I mean, I think the fact is many of us have not come into marriage learning, you know, how to be intimate and learning how to be sexually intimate. It's a real difficulty, but you're right. Always working at it almost doesn't give you enough time to live. There's not enough peace, you know, and I think that this is why I say it's a multiple conversation ordeal. You you can't solve all the problems all at once. And in some ways, you know, if you have the conversation too often, it's like pulling up a carrot seed that you planted to see if it's grown roots and, you know, you're destroying it. You have to give yourself time in between and space in between to relax, just to do some fun things together, not always focused on but what about this? And what about that? We got to fix this. I had a patient who recently told me, you know, I like to have conversations like, you know, a check-in twice a week, at least to see, you know, how we're doing, how we're, how we're doing with our marriage, how we're doing with our sex life. I'm like, you're going to kill each other. (laughs) You can't do that. Right. You know, you, you will, you will drown each other in this sort of analysis. I, I really don't think that needs to be done that often. I think it's too intense. Maybe with a therapist, but see, a therapist serves as a buffer and a guide. Uh, But doing it by yourself, I I think it's just too intense. Yeah, that's a good little uh, piece of advice for us. And I think we have a good balance, but but certainly it can feel uh, like you're empowered by this knowledge, but... You, like you said, you, it can be too intense. You can overanalyze things. And, and mm-hmm. that's why it is great to talk to a therapist. Um, you know, and you don't have to be struggling to talk to a therapist. It's just to talk these things out with right. that third party. Right. Absolutely. You also said you were the pursuer. And I just would make one small comment is traditionally in our heterosexual, mar- in a heterosexual marriage, 
oftentimes the woman is the pursuer emotionally. She wants more talk, more sharing of feelings, more time spent together. Um, but the man is often more the pursuer in terms of sexual intimacy. For a man, oftentimes sex is love. It's not just a form of love the way it is for a female, but it, it is the essence of love. And so his sexual connection is, um, is very dire. Um, but oftentimes they flip-flop. He's not as interested in talking and she's not as interested in the bedroom. Sometimes it's both ways. You know, he is both the sexual pursuer and the emotional pursuer. And she, or she is the sexual pursuer and the emotional pursuer because being a sexual pursuer doesn't necessarily mean that you like sex more. It's just in terms of what feels sort of most pressing in terms of how you receive love. That's another important thing to just try to be aware of and, and to know yourself and, and think about which side of the spectrum you fall on. And, and, and like you said, uh, consciousness is a burden, but it's a burden worth going through, you know, as long as you stay sane, but, but to, to really Absolutely. try to analyze that. So after, um, after you uh, make the initial conversation and then you, you stick to one topic at a time, what's the uh, next suggestion you would make in terms of having a successful sex conversation? Okay. So the, the next thing I want people to do is to, if you are the initiator of the conversation, I want you to formulate the change that you want as a positive. So rather than coming into the conversation and saying, we don't have sex often enough, that's a negative. I want that person to really crystallize what will make them happy and put it into a positive form. So for instance, Maybe my frequency, my, my favorite frequency is, you know, three times a week. So telling my partner, you know, I really want to make love to you three times a week. I'd even be happy if we were having full sexual contact twice a week, but we had some cuddling and some touching once a week. That would be three times a week, and that would make me happy. So giving your partner a lifeline that says, here's the deal. Right at the very beginning of the conversation, don't don't bury the theses, you know, like put it right out there and say, this is what I want. This is what will make me happy. And giving it to your partner, your partner can at least be thinking about it. Okay, okay, okay. No matter what comes next, no matter what feelings I have to listen to from my partner, I know this is what they want. And they can start in their mind sort of working it out. How can I give them this? How can I make them happy? You know, what? how can I compromise in order to make my partner happy. But if you're listening to the negative, all the complaints of your partner, people just drown in that. It's like, oh my gosh, you've just told me the 10 things you don't like about our sexual frequency and how I'm such a loser and I don't make you feel loved and all these things. And, and then you want to tell me what you want. And by that time, I feel defeated. You know, by that time, I, I don't have enough left inside because I feel hammered to really offer up to my partner what, they, what they're after. So the next point is make sure you ask your partner and put, it in a, put a positive spin on it. And when we're talking about sex, that's the most tactful conversation you ever want to have in your whole life. I mean, use tact. It, it, honesty is not the best policy when it comes to sex talk. You know, you, you want it, tact is the best policy. You know, so if it's like, well, you know, my partner's gained 
20 pounds and I really was attracted to them before. You know, not saying, gosh, you know, you've gotten fat and I'm not as attracted to you. That's not tactful. That's hurtful. But saying something like, you know, I just, I love the way we fit together when, you know, we were both fitter and when we first got married and, you know, I just love looking at your body when it's a hard body or, you know, whatever. Use as much tact as you possibly can to communicate uh, what your needs are. This is another great thing that can be applied to all conversations. And I like that you framed it as a I statement. And we talk about this in communication of using those I statements instead of you, because it feels so accusatory when you're saying you don't <laughs> initiate it enough every week with me instead saying I, I would really love it if we did it, you know, and that's just those one change in, 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 in one word can have such a profound impact in how it's received and how you're going to have communication around that topic. It's such a powerful thing to be able to do. You're right, Chase. And it's so much more vulnerable to start with what I want. You know, I want, I need, I'm hoping for is really putting our soul out there. And I think that the use statements are blaming statements and distancing statements. So I think you've nailed it. So we've used an I statement. We've brought up the topic that we want to talk about uh, around sex, or it can really be anything, but we're zeroing in on sex here. What is the next step to moving the conversation forward? Well, I think in terms of sex, uh, especially for newlyweds and young couples, you want to have the who, what, when, why conversation. So thinking about that, all those areas are very assumptive for couples. We come into a relationship with gender expectations, with expectations from our family, with even expectations that have developed in our dating relationship. But we want to make that explicit. So for instance, the who conversation might be, you know, who should initiate you know, what do we really think about that? Do we, what do you think? Is it the man should always initiate or does he not know when she wants it? So he's just waiting on her to initiate. Who's the initiator? You know, and um, when do we like to have sex? I, I know absolutely, you know, when my husband and I got married, you know, one of us was a morning person and the other was an evening person. And, and we kept crossing each other, you know. It was like, wait, wait. And we weren't having enough sex, but we both wanted to have sex. But we just didn't realize that this was the barrier. And we didn't work it into the pattern of our week so that each of us were happy because we were stumbled by our expectations. And maybe what, you know, what do you like to do in bed? You know, what turns you on? What's exciting to you? Uh, many times that's the hardest conversation because it's so explicit and we don't even have good language. Some some couples don't have language that encompasses body parts. You know, they're, they're saying down there or um, they don't have enough descriptive words or maybe one of them uses language that the other one kind of considers a little crude or maybe one uses language that the other one considers too prim, too scientific. I You know, it doesn't turn me on when you talk about sex. Um, so they, you know, talking about the what in bed is very important. So who, what, when, where, why, think about that. Um, make sure that those are encompassed, you know, maybe over the course of the first couple of years, you know, so that you really have made your expectations 
and your understanding about sex explicit. How often would you recommend bringing up that conversation? I know, like you said, every week is is too much, but maybe once a year, every six months, or when's a good touching point? Well, I think that it depends, right? It depends on if sex is the area of your life that is already kind of inflamed and sensitive. If sex is where a couple is struggling, ironically, you want to touch it less. And this sounds crazy because it's like, but this is the area, you know, the pursuer, the sexual pursuer is saying, but this is the area, Lori, that we're having all the trouble. How can we resolve this if we talk about it less? And in some ways, letting it rest a little bit, making a point, making a request of your partner, and then letting it happen, letting your partner breathe and think about it and live a little bit, lowers the inflammation on the topic. So it depends, you know, if you're sexually compatible and, but, you know, like all young couples, frankly, sex takes work for every single couple out there, no matter what you see in the movies, sex takes work. And all of us come to it with different ideas. So for every couple, it's natural to struggle some sexually, but it doesn't necessarily become the battlefield for every couple. But if it is the battlefield, then I would say, you know, every other month, maybe. If it's not the battlefield, then you can proceed a little more quickly, maybe once a month or every few weeks. Um, So it just depends on where in their lives. Many times people fight over sex. They might fight over time. They might fight over money. Those are kind of the hotbeds, right? Sometimes our families and in-laws and and sometimes children, how we're raising the child, who takes care of the children, who does the most work, you know, all that kind of stuff can be a hotbed too. But fortunately, sometimes it's not all of them at once. (laughs) You know, maybe we just, we have a favorite area that we fight out this power struggle on. It's It's like a battlefield. It's the same struggle, frankly, whether you're fighting it out over money or over sex. But when we're fighting it out over sex, you know, especially when we have a pledge of fidelity, it it feels so much more scary and so much harder. Well, these four steps are incredibly valuable for, for talking about sex, but really applying to to everything in our lives when we when we have conflict and how we bring it up, how we use I statements and and then getting specific with the who, what where, when, why. It's, it's, it, it, we're talking about sex here, but it's, you can apply this to so much in, in your relationship. And before we move on to the lasting love round, I just want to ask you one more question. And it's kind of the classic. And I know there's probably not one answer, but how many times should we be doing it a week? And I say that knowing that there's, there's not yeah. the one answer, but how can I know that that's almost how probably. The guy saying, we don't have sex enough, and, and that's probably how half these conversations will get started. So how can we talk right, about right. that besides these steps? Is there a okay. right or wrong answer? So, you know, hardly any sex therapist goes on record about that, but I do. And I think that at least twice a week. And let me explain that, because what that means is that's about an hour's worth of time. And that's usually one quickie, right? One, let's just you know, get it on quickly. And the other is one longy, you know, so that where um, both partners are really satisfied. But I think that's about an hour. It takes most women, and I'm going to say this twice, 45 minutes to reach orgasm. It takes women 45 minutes 
of sort of letting go of their day and and coming into the moment of pleasure with a clear mind. And then it takes her about 20 minutes more of stimulation to reach orgasm. So it's a long process for a female. So for a woman, she may be saying, oh, I don't have 45 minutes. I just don't have it. And that's okay. Maybe it's then there's a quickie in between. Um, but I think a man has to commit to working hard at a woman's pleasure. And a woman often has to work hard at cultivating her own sexual desire. How does she get reminded throughout the day? How does she remind herself? What does she focus on to keep that in her forefront of her mind? Um, and a man, I think, has to work hard at really making it right for her so that the relationship is settled. You know, she feels like she's got support in other areas of her life. She's got enough talking and comfort and that he knows what he's doing in the bedroom. Um, but oftentimes in busy couples' lives, that's, that may not be ideal, but it's enough to keep them out of the therapist's office. Well, there you have it. We got a we got an answer. That's that's. Uh, I thought we were going to get you know can't say, but but no, it's good. And and I think all of these tools are going to help people. That I think the the most important thing is to communicate around that. We can communicate using these steps around how many times per week is going to make both partners happy or or something that we can work with. So so definitely start there, and then you can drill down. Uh, the timing and, and all of that. So really great stuff, Lori. Now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. But first, we're going to play a song that I had written for Chase. It was the last night of the year. I saw you saunter by and my mission was clear. I just had to meet that sexy surfer man. You might be running with a big bad bunch When I saw your brother reeling from a soccer punch But I'm pleased to say you're no meaner than a lamb That is so cool. That is actually the second time we've listened to it. We just got the song back and it sounds like we were like, man, this could be on the Billboard Top 100, maybe. <laughs> Jack Johnson, right? Yeah, could be yeah it. Jack Johnson vibe. But uh, yeah, it, it's so cool because it tells the story of how we met and she puts in all these cute little details, some of them not so cute, as Sarah doesn't like when I tell the story, my brother getting sucker punched, but she got that in there <laughs> and it still sounds cute. So I knew it would make you laugh and it's always, we always joke that instead of telling people how we met, it always turns into how his brother got sucker punched on the night we met. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it's in the song and, and, but it's just, uh, tells a really cool, beautiful story of, of, 
or how we met and then like our life and then going forward chasing waves i'll spare you my singing but uh I, yeah it's the very chorus catchy. is catchy i like have it stuck in my head now I'm yeah it's, singing it for the rest of the day <laughs> oh it's it's super cool and and it's easy to to do this and i think it just makes a an amazing and heartfelt gift yeah it was i mean it was super easy i went onto the website it just asked for what type of occasion this is for and I was just doing it just because, and um, it just asked a story of of us, uh, gives you questions to answer, suggestions to help you write your song, and then it asks the type of genre you want your song to be, the type of vocalist, and then it puts it all together for you. And seven days later, you have this amazing, one-of-a-kind song, so... Um, if you're looking for an amazing gift this Valentine's Day for your honey, then you should really check out Songfinch. Um, they're giving a 10% uh, discount for our listeners. So you can go to songfinch.com and enter the promo code I do to get 10% off uh, your, your song for your honey for Valentine's Day. Yeah, and they have a songwriting community of two hundred over 250 professional musicians, and it's growing every week. So these guys are good. You you hear the girl uh, singing our song. Like, She's that could amazing. be on the radio, yeah. you know, is in, in the lyrics. It's all really beautiful. Even if you just, I mean, you want the song, but like just the lyrics were amazing. And so really love it. Valentine's day coming up guys that are listening it's kind of a no-brainer i mean yeah. your, your girlfriend <laughs> or wife is going to love this and girls you know i i really loved and enjoyed uh hearing it yeah so go on over to songfinch.com and enter the promo code i do and get 10 percent off your song what is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship so we're talking the relationship in general, right? Not just their sex life. Well, I mean, it's up to I, I you. Think, whatever you, whatever you both, think. Both. <laughs> sure. So I think I think that it's um, being attentive to your partner. So responding to them when they begin a conversation, even responding to them, you know, if it's a request for help or if it's, um, you know, a request to be interested interested in something, or if it's a sexual request. Maybe you are not in the mood sexually but your partner has come up and kind of put their arms around you and nuzzled you and said, hey, hey, how about it? Not responding is a huge diss. So even if you respond positively and saying, you know, honey, I really want to, but I am bone tired tonight. I just can't do it, but let's let's do it Saturday. Some response, if your partner says, you know, hey, can you, can you grab the bag and, you know, unpack it for tomorrow? Not hearing anything or that your partner being too absorbed to respond to you is a relational killer. So saying, yep, I got it, or you know what, I, I'm packing my own stuff right now. If you have an extra few minutes, can you get it? Any response, it doesn't even have to be yes, but it has to be closing that cycle. A partner has asked us for something, mentioned something, brought something to our attention, and we reply in some way. That, that is really important to happiness. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? Um, okay, so I, you probably mentioned this. I've already written a book, right, called Wanting Sex Again. Uh, and that is my book on, and it goes through, obviously, all the sexual stages from everything from getting married to the childbearing years through menopause. 
and all the problems that might have come up. So sexually, it's it's a good primer. It's a good beginning, and it's written kind of with um, relationship stories. Every chapter has a couple that is featured, and it's a story. It's I wrote a book the way I like to read a book, you know, because I I learn um, when I hear a story. That's the way I like to learn. So that one, um, and I think in terms of um, a sexual, another sexual book or relationship book. One of my favorite books is called Getting the Love You Want um, by Harville Hendricks. And he has like a workbook that accompanies it. He has questions and he really understands this part about attachment that I've been talking about. He calls them maximizers and minimizers. The maximizer is the pursuer and the minimizer is the distancer. He has a little bit of different language, but he really understands how to help couples get from each other what they need and how our families of origin impact um, our relational aptitude. You know, how we come into the relationship from our families is sort of our raw beginning. And he understands that and helps people grow from that. So I would say that's one of my favorites. Awesome. Well, those resources will be on our website at idopodcast.com on your show notes page. We've been married for almost, well, three years, almost three and a half now. <laughs> Is there any advice you'd give newlyweds? I think the best advice I'd give you is to try to relax with each other, to understand this is a lifetime process. And in the beginning, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of disruption. That's normal. Um, you know, don't be afraid of the conflict. Don't be afraid that this is the way it will always be. Know that, you know, it. It's a process. Married life takes a long time to sort of enter that real love stage where things are smoother and where you feel like you know each other. What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? Best advice I would give single listeners is examine the commitments that the person you're interested in has kept. So have they finished college? Have they been in a career path for a number of years? Uh, if they have a child from another relationship, do they pay child support? And really, are they active in that child's life? Examine their commitments. And if they have a pattern that says they're a keeper of commitments, that person is a better bet. Uh, no matter, I mean, I think that unfortunately people are evaluating attractiveness as the highest value and believing that a very attractive partner will, you know, be a better partner but not necessarily. So examine the person's character beneath their physical appearance. I think that's an awesome recommendation. That's not one we've heard before. And, you know, thinking about it, it's something that is very important. And it was something that was important to me. And I really love that in Chase. So I think that is an awesome recommendation. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I can't, I can't take too much credit for being uh a holder of my commitments in the sense that I'm a bit of a scatterbrain, but, but I guess in other, <laughs> yes, in, other in other ways, Sarah saw that I was committed. So, so that's good. But, um, we appreciate all of the, all of the great advice today that you've given us and our listeners. So let's finish by having you tell us where we can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. You can find me online at awakenloveandsex.com. And also on my my podcast on iTunes and Stitcher is called Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. And I would love to have people come and listen. We, you know, we do it topically and we talk about all kinds of different things from 
premature ejaculation to how to have an orgasm to really how as a couple you can work out your sex life. Excellent. Well, all those links will be on our show notes page again. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. And congratulations on doing this. I think it's a really important service. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to download the free cheat sheet that we created for you guys, you can head on over to our website at idopodcast.com forward slash 131 download. That's today's episode number 131. So that's idopodcast.com forward slash 131 download. The link's also in the show notes page and the podcast description. And don't forget two weeks left until we close our registration for our Costa Rica couples retreat. So check that out on our website as well. It's up at the top uh, under the retreats link. And we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. The last night of the year I saw you saunter by And my mission was clear I just had to meet That sexy surfer man Then I thought you might be running With a big bad bunch When I saw your brother reeling From a soccer punch But I'm pleased to say You're no meaner than a lamb Right out onto our boards 
we'll still be chasing waves. Oh, we'll still be chasing. 